Tonight we're going to do on blessed to be a blessing. <laughs> okay. All right. I want you to look up Genesis 12, verse 2. I thought you were going to be happy that I was doing something nice. You only get one a semester. This is it. Enjoy it. Okay, Genesis 12, verse 2. It's the Abrahamic blessing. And God comes to Abraham, and I want you to know this is God's ideal for your life. This is the inheritance that passes down to you. But when God came to Abraham, he said two things in this that I want you to catch. He said, I'm going to bless you in order to make your life a blessing. So we're going to title this Blessed to be a Blessing. Now, I want you to think about it. One's top line and one's bottom line for you business majors. You know, it could be like uh, french fries on bottom, ketchup on top. Does that go together good? Yes, that's good. Okay, or it could be like cake on bottom, icing on top. Anybody been to Ireland? We've got to take this group to Ireland. Fish and chips. Very good. They go together. So top line, bottom line. Bottom line is the blessing, that you have been called to be a blessing. So God is in the business of blessing your life in order to do one thing, to make you a blessing. That's top line, bottom line. He gives you what he's going to do and the reason he's going to do it. So number one, let's look into some things. Let's find out, are you blessed beyond your wildest expectations? Some people I don't think have ever inherited what God has for them. And we're going to use Peter tonight as a demonstration of, did he receive the Abrahamic blessings? How does that pass down? How does it look to the Lord? In Luke 5, verse 4 through 9, I want you to think a minute about when Jesus first called you. How he first told you, come on, come on, come follow me. In Luke 5, 4 through 9, Peter was a fisherman. And in this opening scene, I love how God does it with Peter. Top line. We're going to look into top line first, receiving the blessing, getting the icing, putting the thing on top. And so in Luke 5, 4 through 9, Peter has had an empty night. He's been out working hard. He's been fishing all night. And the Lord said, put your net, Peter, on the other side. And Peter starts to argue. He goes, we've been doing this all night. He said, it's not, okay, Lord, at your bidding, I will do it. And then the most amazing thing happens in Peter's life. He went from nothingness into so many fish. I mean, it was like if you're a banker, he blesses you with money. If you're a fisherman, he blesses you with fish. This made this fisherman rich when you think about what happened. It became fish, fish, and fish. And, and look at two ways this way. Look at what the Bible captures here. The nets begin to break and two boats begin to sink. That's a lot of blessing. I would like for my nets to just say, we can't hold it all. You know, the, the nets, we can't hold all the blessings. We don't have a fence big enough. You know, not only does your personal boat, but you whistle in for your closest friends to come up, and their boat starts sinking too. When Jesus called Peter, the blessing so overflooded his life, it went in every single direction. And that was a fishing night that caught nothing, to blessings overflowing. But notice what kind of reaction it had in Peter. In verse 8, all right, get away from me. He goes, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Have you ever noticed that having that kind of blessing on your life lets you see yourself for what you are? I mean, you start seeing your true self. This kind of blessing kind of shakes you up. And Peter was like, Lord, get away. I, I, I'm, I'm not the type that you need. And then in verse 10, where Jesus says, yes, Peter, you are what I need. In other words, I blessed you in your occupation, and now I'm going to give you another occupation. Don't you think Jesus is funny here? 
where he uses a play on words. You know, he's like, you've been a fisherman, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I, I've seen this about what the Lord does in my life. He will bless me unbelievably, and then he'll call me away. Come follow me. <laughs> he'll bless me beyond anything I could expect, and he says, now I have, he says, I need your life. So he takes where he blesses you, and he'll take the very area he blesses you in and call you away. God will bless you in a way that you can understand it. Peter understood one thing, and that was fishing. And God spoke to him in his language. He does more for you than you could ever do for yourself. And then he calls you. You know, in verse 11, it proves that this kind of blessing on your life will cause you to leave everything. When Peter saw that God blessed him beyond his wildest expectations, he got up and he followed a man he did not know, that he didn't know anything about. He didn't get into his little MySpace and check out his site. He didn't check a resume. He didn't go and do any credential checks on this guy with the local synagogue. He got up and he followed the man. The first thing I want to ask you is, have you received that kind of blessing from the Lord? Have you experienced what God's talking about here to Abraham? I will bless you. I don't think God says that lightly. You know, everything I've known from the Lord is he always makes understatements. You know, in the Old Testament, the same ideas here in Malachi 3.10, there'll be no room. I mean, the windows of heaven will open up. Uh, one of our kids on a mission trip said, you know what? I want to get under one of those open windows where it directly falls on me. You know, I want one of heaven's windows open directly over me where it drops down on top of me. In the New Testament, it said the same way in Luke 6.38. It says, press down, shaken together, where you can't get anything else in there. Shall I pour into your lap a blessing which you cannot contain? Now, this is talking about overflowing blessing in your life. This reminds me of some of your closets. You know, you prayed for clothes, and now we can't even get in there. John 10.10, 10, it says, I will bless you. And he said, the thief, he comes to steal, and he comes to kill, and he comes to mess with your mind and destroy. But he said, not me. He said, I come to give you life and to give you more abundant life. He could have just stopped at life. I mean, for the Lord to return life back to us after the fall. But he gave us life, and he gives us the abundant kind of life, more than just existing. It's an exciting place to live that when he breaks the bread, that there's 12 basketfuls left over. That when there's tax money needed, it's the coin in the fish's mouth. It's enough to pay Jesus and Peter's. That when it's mercy, when you're sinful, his mercy endureth forever. It's beyond anything that we can see. Now, I want you to look at something. Luke 22, verse 35. When you come to a place with the Lord, you're going to find this to be true in your life. Not only on your calling, it will be what epitomizes your whole life. It covers your whole life. It's what represents your whole life. When Jesus was through after three years, it's a funny question he asked the disciples right as he was leaving. He said, when you've been with me, he said, did you lack anything? Isn't that an unusual verse or an unusual thing for Jesus to want to know? Hey, when you were with me, guys, did you lack for anything? And they said, no, nothing. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you come to that point where you sell out to the Lord, you will have that in your life where you realize, no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Want is a sign of him not being a shepherd. There was no lack in their life. And Jesus, for some reason, wanted them to acknowledge that. That while they were with him, there was no lack for anything. It's a thoroughly blessed. It's being blessed beyond belief. Now, I want you to write this down. This is one of my favorite statements. Hopefully, when you remember me, you'll always remember me saying this. The best testimony 
to Jesus Christ is a satisfied customer. The best testimony that you can be to Jesus Christ is being a satisfied customer. He likes leaving people satisfied. What areas he richly blessed you in? You know, ministry, honestly, is just supposed to be an overflow of personal satisfaction. Where it's just, oh, I'm in the ministry and this is stiff, straight job occupation you do. It's just an overflow. I'll prove that to you. Matthew 10, verse 8. You are on your way to becoming a blessing. It's a journey. It's an experience of being blessed in order to be a blessing. Bottom line. Matthew 10, verse 8. He says, freely you go. Preach. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Oh, I love that raise the dead in there. Man, for college kids, that's a lot of fun. The adults, they don't believe in it, but us college, we really think he means what he says. Preach, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That one's pretty much fun. (laughs) Then notice how he sums it up. Freely you have received, now freely give. Do you see that? You've been blessed. And the overflow of your life will be a blessing to other people. That's how God operates. He doesn't make you minister on empty. He doesn't like it. He says empty is dangerous. You remember when he said, clean out the house, sweep it clean? That God has come into your life to give you a blessing so that your life is strictly an overflow, sowing into other people's lives. I want you to think for a minute, what areas in your life do you feel most blessed in? You have a good family? You've been blessed with finances? Those are areas that freely you've been given. I freely give. And what gets me is people that have come to church for a long time or been in cross lines or something, where they still have that attitude of, oh, I'm just not coming back. No one spoke to me. I'm like, you've been here for five years. Why don't you speak to someone? You know, or, man, no one paid attention. And you just want to say, grow up a little bit. You know, 20 years later, and you're that no one has paid any attention to me, and so-and-so doesn't speak, and wanting constant attention rather than being a blessing. It goes against everything. But try just a little bit to let the Lord, you know, just say, I've been blessed. Because once you've been blessed, you have the ability and the capability of being a blessing. You know, some people have never realized the concept of being blessed in order to become a blessing. But, you know, not so with this group. I, you know, I never say nice things to your face. But away, it was so nice being at that wedding this weekend where this girl looked at me and she goes, this girl three years ago was terrible. Three years later after you had her, they go, she's amazing. You can just see the Lord. Off. They go, these people in this room are so well discipled. Yeah, I, I try to be humble and say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a good thing to think of cross-line ministry people. I'm just saying they're ministry-minded. They're fruit-bearing. Sowed, sowed, seed sowing. Sowed seeing. Toad fro- no. So, uh, seed sowing. Devil chasing. You know, they're service-minded. You know, they serve the food. I Can you all believe every week coming in here cooking? You know, we've got some, you know, we've had Jessica and different ones out in there putting the chairs out, cleaning up, the outreach blessing. You know, I'm, I'm in church. Here, read this flyer. Is it good? We're going to put it up all over the school. Did they say yes? Good. They said yes. Okay, we're having favor in this school. It's a ministry of inviting people, welcoming visitors, prayer blessing. You know, you look like you're hurting. Can I pray for you? Where you've been blessed. If you have a good leash on prayer and you see people, your life becomes a blessing. What is my blessing ministry? What do I do that's a blessing? Do I do anything that's a blessing? 
usually the type of ministry that you have will follow your testimony. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations of this. There was this guy, and this car fell on his head, and a chunk fell off of his head. Yeah, and his wife grabbed the chunk. Now, this is not that yeah, thing that happened in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he, by the time he got to the hospital, they were praying over him, and his head had totally skull bone and everything come back, grown back. You know what he does? He has a, a miracle ministry because he believes God can do anything. <laughs> you know, if your head grows a chunk into it, you know, that's good. You know, the Bible had that ear falling off and coming back. You wonder if that guy had an ear. No. Okay, so he had a miracle ministry. You know, he knows that God will do it for others because God did it for him. Isn't it funny where God has done something? You might, I get tickled at people. They'll have faith in one area but not in another. But it's because you've, you've experienced the blessings of God. Some people struggle, struggle with finances, but healing's no problem for them. And it's funny how we each have our different areas where we have to get faith built in those. You know, my dad, he was a Methodist, and he went out on the smoke break. He listened to a Baptist on the radio, Logan Cummins, First Baptist, and got saved. So what does God give him? A radio station. Isn't it funny how... Whatever you start out your testimony, then God bless you. You know, my mom, she was crazy, had emotional illness, shock treatment, psychiatrist. You know, what she do? All the depressed people come, and she starts telling them, this is your thought life. You better overcome. Look at all these crazy people out here. Most people get mentally institutionalized when this happens. And you start seeing the area that you've been blessed in, you become a blessing. You know, but he was a loud mouth, radical. I once said if he ever got saved, he'd get everyone saved. What's his ministry now? He gets other people radical. But anyway, he's screaming. I'll tell you, scratch that one. Here's another one. We're with the, all the CEOs that we're trying to make a contract. It's very important we impress this group. It's a night's table. It's all laid out. He looks around the table, and the guys just start eating. All of a sudden, slams his fist down on that table. All the glassware shakes on the table. He goes, you heathenites. He goes, somebody in this table needs to pray. You know what? He got his contract. You know, it's funny that if you're a loudmouth, God will use your loudmouth. You know? He uses you in the area that you've been blessed. You know, don't try to copy someone else's anointing. You need to stick with what God's given you. You know, I made a promise to God. God promised me my life will never be boring. If you stick around me, I promise you, your life will never be boring. That God blesses you in the area and causes you to be a blessing. Now, what about blessing those who will not bless you back? Like blessing to your employer, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Blessing those people who are unblessed, those that no one else wants to bless. You know, 1 Peter 3, 9 says, this doesn't even make sense. He says, how can you return evil for evil when you were called to be a blessing? He said, that's the very nature that God puts in you. It doesn't even make sense that you could give out evil because you've been called to be a blessing. You know, bottom line, you were called for the very purpose of inheriting a blessing, top line. Do you see how the play on the Abrahamic covenant? What happens when people reject your blessing? It's really good. You can dust your feet off and you can keep on going. That's what it tells you in, in Matthew 10, 14. It really does. You know, there's more people out there that's going to receive it. It says if they don't understand what's holy, it says don't give it to dogs. And that's calling people dogs, people pigs. That some people don't understand something valuable that you're putting your pearls before them. You can keep on moving. You know, and when Jesus felt unwelcome, he left. 
So when people don't receive the blessing, you can keep on moving. You know, it's funny about the Ark of the Covenant. People had different reactions to it. The people that welcomed it were blessed. The people that rejected it, everything fell down in the temple. And that's kind of like your life. Some people are going to like you, and they're going to like what Christ has done in you. And they're going to find your, that thing, that, that righteousness that God has given you as a gift, they're going to find it attractive, and they're going to want it. Some people, everything in their life is going to start falling down when you walk in. You know, the Abrahamic blessing goes on to say, and those who curse you will be cursed. You know, people that are, are good people will be drawn to you, but bad people will fall because of you. It's that power of the blessing upon the life. Now, what happens when you reject your blessing? There's other people that reject it, but what happens when you reject it? Well, the blessing only comes. It doesn't go out. It's just like the Dead Sea. Oh, this one's great. Look up Luke 12, 16 through 21. Being no blessing to anyone. Being only a top liner and not a bottom liner. Now, these are the two worst mistakes you can make. This one of rejecting being a blessing. This guy built bigger barns. He goes, man, I can't keep all the blessing God has on my life. I'm going to build bigger barns to hold it all. You know what reward hoarding gets? Do you want the same reward that the bigger barn God got? Tonight, this very night, your soul is, yeah. I will tear it down, I'll build larger. You know, this is what the bigger barn guy sounds like. God pours out financial blessings, and I use it on myself. Or God miraculously heals you. And you show him your gratitude by spending the rest of your life watching TV. <laughs> God saves you, and you never tell another soul. Man, my religion's personal. So personal, don't tell anyone. And that's the concept of having a blessing and hoarding it in and keeping it and not having an outgo. It's just like the Dead Sea. Everything in it dies up, and you kill it. Being like Peter, I'm guarding all those fish in my boat. Sit here for two years guarding those fish in that boat. Everything stinks. <laughs> you know, God made it where you have to give it away or it produces death. All right, watch this. Being anything but a blessing to someone, being a bad blessing, being a curse to them. We talk about people, you know, if they curse you, they'll be cursed. But what about when you're a curse to them? Sinning against someone destroys the very reason you were called. You were called in order to be a blessing to them. I want you to think about this for a minute. You know when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he was anything but a blessing to Uriah, right? I wouldn't call that a blessing. Look how God phrased it in 2 Samuel 12, 14. He says, David, he says, you caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Did you know by sinning against somebody that we cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme? They're going, this, this is not how a Christian's supposed to be. One time God says, you're causing the other nations to make fun and to mock Christians. You know, he says, when you use my name in vain, he said, you're profaning my name in front of the nations, how you treat it. Do you see that when you don't give a blessing out, when you're anything but a blessing, it causes people, the enemies of the Lord, to blaspheme, and it doesn't cause them to come to Christ? I mean, it's... It's worse than doing nothing, which is the, the one before, and the guy went to hell for that. I don't know what happens here. In Romans 2, 17, it says, you're blessed, top line. And it's real neat seeing it. He said, you're a guide to the blind, you're a light to the dark. He said that you instruct the infants, and he said, you're a teacher of the foolish. And he says, but why are you not acting like a blessing? Why are you not doing what you teach? He said, are you stealing? Are you committing adultery? Do you have idols in your life? He goes, you're not living up to what you believe. 
Have you ever felt that, that we're not living up to what we believe? The name of God is blasphemed because of me to unbelievers. That's when my life becomes a curse rather than a blessing. Okay, that's one of the worst things that you can do. It's either whether you keep it for yourself or you actually become bad to someone else, a curse to someone else, and don't impart a blessing. You actually slap them a little bit. But this second one is sneakier. And as good Christians, we find ourselves in this one. This one is ministering beyond the blessing is dangerous. Now, wait a minute. The first one was we have top line in our life, but no bottom line. Oh, we want the icing, but we don't want the cake. This one is we want the cake, but not the icing. Did you know that one can be equally as dangerous? Watch this. The worst testimony to Jesus Christ is an unsatisfied customer. You know, deficit motivation. I have a hole in me, and I can't hold the blessing. I've never been blessed, but I try to be a blessing. Fish with no chips. (laughs) And I'm trying to give what I've never experienced. Now, this was driven home to me. I'll never forget this. In counseling class, they said, are you planning to be a counselor? They made us fill out a form. And they said, is counseling filling up a void in your life? Is it motivated by a need inside of you of a need to be needed? Do you like having other people hearing their problems and then paying attention to you? You know what happened? They kicked everyone out of counseling majors that answers guessed any of that where it was based on a deficit motivation watch what they did to us I was smarter by the time we got to the mission field on the mission team we had to fill out a form they would not let us go if we were using the foreign land to escape have you had a major breakup in your life do you have a bad situation at home witnessing and mission field work has to come out of a desire to share what you have not an escape plan All of a sudden, I realized that's exactly what we're talking about, where we want to be a blessing, but we never experience being blessed. And you don't think of that as dangerous. You know, psychology majors, a lot of them are just trying to figure themselves out. Extremely dysfunctional family. (laughs) But psychology or working with people needs to be because there's a gift of wisdom on your life, where God has placed a gift for you to help people. You have to be blessed in order to be a blessing. You know, it's almost uh, blasphemous to think that you could be a blessing before you receive the blessing from God. You know, that's where uh, the Lord, he goes, go, go, go into all the world. He gives you a green light and he pushes you out the door and says, go. Then he says, stop. He says, don't dare go. Don't go until power has come upon you. I see so many missionaries running out, but they don't have the power. That dunamis working kind of power on their life and they come back broken. That's where you get burned out in uh, ministry. That's where you get where you have a deficit. It's important for your spiritual health not to minister from a deficit motivation, but from a God-given wholeness. Burnout happens when you're giving more than you receive, when you're ministering past what you've experienced, and when you're teaching what you have not tested. So that is having bottom line in your life, but no top line. Okay, I'm going to tell you the graciousness of the Lord. When you break under pressure or you get disillusioned, that God will use the blessing in your life to restore you back into ministry. Have any of you just ever worn out? <laughs> just had one of those bad months, <laughs> bad years? Watch how the Lord handles you. You know, the, the fact that I like about the Lord, he not only loves the prodigal, but he loves that elder son. You know, that he, he takes good care of his sons. Look in Luke twenty-two fifty-six 56 through 61. 
Y'all, this is more than just restoring you back into ministry. This is true friendship. You know how you, know how you and your friend have a certain thing between you that the only two of you know? This is what happened with Peter. Jesus uses something on him that only Peter could understand. Luke twenty-two fifty-six 56 is a terrible verse. You know, you think of Peter, he's so tough, he's telling everyone, man, if everyone else, if they deny you, I won't. I'm going to get a sword. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to come out after him. I'm going to die with you. And he has these big hopes. Well, when he gets up there, this verse makes him look like a jerk. It's in 56, the first time it happens to him, it's with a servant girl who's looking at him intently. And she goes, aren't you one of them that was hanging around? He's scared in front of a girl. And he starts cursing in front of the girl. And he goes, I never knew him. This isn't a Galilean accent. You don't see me as a holy man. He's blankety blank. Just starts using all those words he had long been redeemed from. His fisherman talk. And so he starts this. And he starts denying him. And he denies him. One, two, three. You know, we talk about Jesus counting. And then you hear the cock crowing. Man, why did Jesus count? Three times you'll deny me. All right, y'all, it's worse than that. Luke captures the one verse that none of the other Gospels capture. In Luke, verse 61, when you're looking at 22:61, it was Jesus was at his most agonizing moment. As he was being tortured and carried away, and you've made all these big promises, I'll die with you. And it says that when he denied him the third time in the cock crow, Jesus turned and he looked at him. Oh, gosh. That breaks you in ministry. Not only have you been serving this guy that just gives up the ship for no reason. I mean, the guy had it going. Why he would let himself get crucified, I don't know. He's been raising the dead. He's been healing the sick. He could have gotten himself up. You know, and you're totally disillusioned about him. And then you get disillusioned about yourself. And it's just like a double whammy that hits Peter. And he's like, this whole thing, I must have misunderstood it because I don't understand what's happening. Have you ever come to that place in ministry? Have you ever come to that place in Brownwood? I just don't even understand. What is God telling me? What is he, what is he trying to get to me? Well, someone once said, a clean conscience is a soft pillow. And Peter wasn't sleeping too good these days. <laughs> you know, he felt terrible. He had been let down by a dream, and in return, he had let that dream down. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the remorse that he felt? I, I can't even tell him I'm sorry he's dead. You know, there's nothing worse than messing up those dying words. You know, Peter just didn't even have a chance. I mean, everything he believed in, all the th- three years, he's just thinking it's all a joke. I never can fix this. Have you ever felt like it's gotten so beyond hope? That's the beauty of what the Lord can do. Y'all, Peter was totally disillusioned. You know, when you get totally disillusioned with the Lord, a lot of times... The way he'll get you is the blessing. There was this man, his name was Bill Wilson. He's famous in the United States. He's from New York. And for years and years and decades, he has worked with street children. But one night, he was out late, and somebody came up from behind, and they stabbed him in the back. And when they did, it hit his spinal column, and for some reason, it made him go blind in an eye. So he went blind in his eye. Here you believe in miracles. You believe in healing. He prayed every kind of prayer he could pray. Nothing happened. They had a big street ministry in New York. So he told his team, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to fly, and I'm going to have surgery on my eye. But he didn't tell anyone what he was really doing. He was going to get off that plane and get on another plane, and he was going to leave the ministry, slip into the general public, and never come back. 
and he had planned this out. I mean, he was just like Peter. He was totally disillusioned with life. God, I was serving you when this happened. And as he was getting off that plane to get onto the other plane and never come back, God healed his eye. He told that on himself. And I've seen God take times in my life where I was at my bottom, where there just wasn't anywhere to go, and God came back to the most disillusioned state that I was in. And he reenacted something. I want you to look at John 21, verse 8. Peter just stayed away. He was like, man, even if that is Jesus, even if it is him showing up, we're busted. You know, he'll, he'll, never, he'll never think I'm his favorite again. And so in, in John 21, verse 8, Jesus does something. He sees Peter and all the gang out there working. And he hollers out there. He goes, hey, he goes, guys, he goes, up, throw your net on the other side. Now, you know to Peter, that was like the best words he could ever hear. Do you realize what Jesus is doing in here? He is reenacting the exact same miracle he used to call him. And it says that the boat got so many fish, and Peter left them all counting fish. And it says he swam to the shore. And you know where Peter, last time I think he stripped down to jump in and swim, this time it says he put his clothes on to jump off the boat. When Jesus called him, he blessed him, and he restored Peter in the exact same way that he had called him. I want you to think about something. He blessed him. It was a boatload of fish. He honored him. And then he did something further this time. He fixed him breakfast. Can you imagine Jesus fixing you breakfast? You know, some of you were so rude to me in the Philippines about that fish. This was fish for breakfast. <laughs> if Jesus fixes you fish for breakfast, I don't think you'll turn him down. And so he fixed him breakfast. Can you imagine this scene between Peter and him? That he cast it on the other side, and he couldn't even haul it all in. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes, you know, he has blessed me, and he has returned me to being a blessing. Remember Jesus asking, Peter, do you love me? Three times you deny me, three times you got to admit to me you do love me. And then every time he made him say, I love you, Jesus, he goes, Peter, then tend my sheep. In other words, I'm blessing you in order to make you a, yeah, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, Peter. The way that God restores us is he blesses our life again and points us outward again. So you do love me. Now go back and be a blessing. That's what I've called you to do. You know, in Genesis 20, this is the one that blows you away. And you'll have to get my whole tape on this one because I'm sure if I've walked in this so much, you will too. That even when you're wrong, you carry the blessing. Genesis 22 through 6. Abraham lied. She is my sister. I mean, not only did he lie, he took all the guy's bribes. He took his VCRs, his DVDs, his tent was full, and, and Sarah was in the harem. This would not work, oh my, just what I could think of to say to Abraham at this moment. And in Genesis 22 through 6, oh, I think this was Abimelech talking here. He goes, look, God, you may be having a dream threatening me with this woman, but he said, I had integrity, your man didn't. I mean, Abimelech's a heathen king, and he goes, something's not right with this picture. What does God say? Go to Abraham, get him to pray for you, get him to bless you, and then I'll restore you. Y'all, does this say to you what it's saying to me? You can be wrong, and if you carry the blessing, people still have to go to you to get blessed. That's an amazing concept here. 
You know, Abraham still had to give the blessing. When God says he makes you a blessing, look how little it's dependent upon us. That blessing is upon our life. You know, my dad always says, God makes my wrongs right. And that's a a concept within itself of knowing that the blessing is on your life, that God can take the worst mistake you've ever made and he can turn it to use it for good if you yield it to him. You can be dead wrong and still carry the blessing on your life. Now, what about your blessing? This blessing was to Abraham. What makes you think it includes you? Oh, you're just taking a verse out of the Old Testament saying it belongs to you. How do I know? How do I know I'm not just taking this besides it saying we're under a new and better covenant? Where, what, where am I basing this? Come on, y'all. Everybody should know this one. Where in the New Testament? General Electric Power Company. Where does it say? How can I know that the Abrahamic blessing, how can I know this whole Bible study really does count for you? How do I know? Older ones don't speak. How can I know? How can I know for sure? How do I know that I'm not making this up, that the Abrahamic covenant was not just for the Jews, for dispensationalism, the Jewish people to establish the covenant on the earth? And not for, huh? He doesn't break covenants. Is there a specific word that tells you? That Abraham's covenant is yours. That that blessing covenant passes right down to you. <laughs> At least you will. Okay, Galatians 3, 13. Galatians 3, 14. Galatians 3, 9. Galatians 3, 29. It talks about Abraham had a covenant. And it was given to his seed. And then in 14 it says, The Gentiles are the seed. We receive it. And it says that Abraham's blessings are now ours and we inherit the Abrahamic blessing. Man, it's all over there. I mean, Paul just wrote it clearly and he was like, man, he said, the blessing of Abraham is sent to you. You know, we were blessed in order to be a blessing. Am I a blessing? Do I feel like a blessing on the inside? Do I feel blessed? This is not an Old Testament. Well, Abraham was a special person. This is telling you as a covenant believer, as an heir, that Abraham's blessing through Jesus Christ, that his blood was enough to make that blessing into yours. How bad do you want the blessing? Did you know it's not automatic? Not all Christians have it. This is demonstrated in the grandsons of Abraham that Esau didn't get it at all. And Jacob was interesting, but he had to fight for it. In Genesis 27 verse 30, Do you want the blessings bad enough to fight for it? You know that the blessing is something tangible. Most Christians won't get the blessing. They don't even understand that they've got to fight for the thing. You know, Genesis 32, 24, Jacob grabs that angel and he goes, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And he said, I'd have to do something first. What's that? I'd have to change your name. Do you realize sometimes why? We had to fight for the blessing. Is there something in us that has to be changed in order for us to receive it? You've got to have an empty spot. You've got to have less of you for that blessing to come in. There were some things in Jacob that desperately had to be changed in order for him to receive the blessing and become Israel. I want God's blessing on my life. You know, it'll take you fighting for everything in you to say, I want this blessing. Have you ever met a Christian and you just think, they don't have a blessing on their life. Everything in their life goes wrong. They're just everything. They're not blessed. They're unsatisfied. I don't want what they have. I don't want to be like them. You know, if you're the type of person, people go, I don't want what you've got. Then I want you to take this verse and say, I'm going to wrestle this out with God and I'm going to fight till I get that blessing. The way it came to Jacob was he had to do something about it. 
Here, he grabbed that angel. It says he went from being a man to an angel to being God. So there's an interesting transition there we'll talk about later. But he grabbed him and he said, I'm not letting you go. And something in you, when you grab it that hard, God had that happen in the New Testament with healing. That sometimes you had to grab on and say, I'm not letting you go until I get it. And it fixes something inside of you. It, 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 that persistence fixes something and makes it right. How bad do you want the blessing? The blessing's yours. Will you get it? Last point. Other people will get blessed because I'm a carrier of the blessing. Top line and bottom line. The first one was, oh, I'm only top liner. I only like icing. Bottom line, I'm only cake. The right way is the fact that you realize I am blessed in order to be a blessing. I'm a carrier of the blessing. Top line plus bottom line. Just exactly the way God said it to Abraham. I'm blessing you in order to make you a blessing. That's a very balanced thing that God does in your life. Now, I want you to see this in Scripture. Paul and the, and the ship's crew. The angel comes to Paul and says, this whole ship's going under. It's going to be loss of life for all the men. They're going to lose all their cargo. What does Paul say? He starts praying. He doesn't accept that. Oh, that's a prophecy. No, that's, not, that's worse than a prophecy. That's an angel coming and standing before you telling you that's going to be how it happens. You remember what happened with old Gabriel and saying, how will I know this will happen? And Paul had a conception coming over here. If I'm on this ship, then everyone on this ship will be blessed because I'm on this ship. That conception that when you're on a plane and that time we felt that thing dip and drop a thousand feet, that time in Mexico where it swung around, this, this plane can't go down because I'm on it. That you have that conception that I'm called, I've got purpose, I've got something to do on the other side, I'm blessed in order to be a blessing. Paul realized that this ship can't go down and God will spare the rest of your lives. Elijah and the continual oil supply, because I carried the blessing, you can feed me first, and your oil will not run out till the end of the drought. That, that continual blessing that everybody you touch, that that blessing gets off on their life. That's why your employer should be blessed when you work for them. That's why that when people come with it, that there should be such a, a blessing that it goes into even the heathen. God's not trying to be stingy with this blessing. He's blessing you in order to make you a blessing to the nations. Don't be thinking, well, heathens can't get it, only the Christian. What are you thinking? You're supposed to be reaching the heathen. That's why Abraham was a blessing in order that his seed could bless the other nations. The Jews are the ones that are supposed to be out there getting the people saved. You're out there as a Christian that your lot is supposed to be reaching the dark world. Elisha, the blessing, he was pretty blessed. Threw his bones on a dead man in a grave and the guy came back. Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm blessed clear down to my bones. You throw my bleached bones in the thing and someone pops out of a grave. Peter in his shadow. Oh, man, this one almost sounds blasphemous. Whoever my dark side where the sun doesn't shine touches gets healed. Wow. You'll just get healed by being around me. As long as she was with me and walked with God, she walked with God. Have you ever had someone like that where there's such a strong blessing? When people are around me, they do right. That you have a blessing on your life that people get with you and the healing of God comes on there. God always supplies for what he commands you to do. God always supplies for what he gives you the unction to do. Stay around me and you'll never lack. I have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Amen. Amen.